So, Mike, what's irking you today? What's grinding your gears? I don't know what the right word to say is. What's pissing you off? This is my cue to complain about how much I dislike Fitbit's new experience where they have taken the very functional and you can see everything you want to see at a glance, colorful and information dense dashboard and made it one of these rubbish, low density of information, dull color. I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know why companies keep doing this, but it's another one of these stupid app redesigns that I hate. Information dense isn't something that is important. Unless you're like a power user or, you know, a corporate user. A corporate user? <laughs> you know, like businesses have ugly UIs, right? If you build an app for in-house, it's an ugly app, but it's information dense and it's rarely pretty. I think it can be pretty. I think information dense can be pretty. I don't understand why everyone seems to think we the consumer can't handle seeing like two things at once they're like oh they're looking at two graphs it's going to confuse them I'm like no show me five graphs i want to see it all i want to see it quickly i don't want to have to scroll i don't want to have to tap twice to go and see information i used to be able to see at a glance i really feel like these horrible app redesigns are coming about as a result of people trying to do like data-driven design. You know, they've instrumented their apps, they've put tagging in, they're getting loads and loads and loads of feedback about how people are interacting with the apps, which bits people are looking at, how long they're looking at them, and they're A-B testing the new and old designs. And they're going and seeing, oh, with the new design, people spend longer in the app. They spend longer looking at everything and they tap and engage with the app more. This is obviously a better design. But it's actually just that in the old app, you could see everything you needed to see in a second. So you opened the app, you looked at it, and you're like, huh, that's good. And then you closed it again. And now you open the app and the app shows you some gigantic banner about how you should eat lentils. So you have to dismiss it. And then you have to scroll down because it doesn't show you everything on one screen anymore. And then you have to tap into it to go and see the details about like how your sleep cycle actually was. No longer can you just see a chart that says you slept for five hours and there's a colored breakdown showing, you know, the quality of sleep was like this. Instead, it's just like you slept for five hours and you have to tap on it. And then you can see the old screen of the sleep details where it actually gives you the breakdown. But you used to be able to see that at a glance on the dashboard without scrolling or dismissing a prompt about lentils. But you're engaging. They're going to see engagement go up because everyone has no choice and they're going to see it drop to zero when everyone stops using their damn app and buys a different fitness tracker. I don't understand. I mean, the thing is, maybe only people who hate the redesign are going to post on the forums. The people who like it are going to just be happy and not say anything. But I have actually gone onto the Fitbit forums to complain. Like, I hate it that much. And in the forum is an entire thread of like 30 or 40 pages of people all complaining about the same stuff I'm complaining about. And Fitbit have just not responded at all. The only thing they've said is, no, you can't go back to the old design. Once you've opted into the new design, you can't go back. 
And this isn't even the first time this has happened. I used to use the Wythings app and then Wythings sold their business to Nokia and then Nokia put out their redesign of the app and it went from being a colourful and information-rich app to, again, one of these horrible, full of white space, you could only see two things on the screen at once if you're lucky and you have to scroll loads and... I guess they were trying to say, oh, we're going to we're going to make the visual design less noisy. We're going to just have two colors, blue and green. And it's like, thanks. Now I can't understand anything at a glance because you just got rid of like half the information in the app because now there's only two colors. And so I ditched Wythings and I bought a Fitbit and now Fitbit have done it to me too. So that's what's grinding my gears. I also had Fitbit ask if I wanted to update the new sleek design and I said no. Thanks to you. I mean, you say thanks to me. Maybe you'd look at it and you'd be like, oh, this is really great. What was Mike complaining about? I would have, you know, if you hadn't told me anything, I would have totally gone for it. Yeah, I don't, that's what happened to me too. It just popped up one day. It's like, oh, try the new design. Okay, I'll try it. And then I was like, this is horrible. How do I go back? Oh. Oh, so you opted in. I opted in. So it's your own fault. It is my own fault. I probably should have done some research. Especially after what happened with the white things happened. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. What else has been on your mind? It was really weird, but I went to try and book my holiday. So I mentioned last time I was thinking of going to the West Coast of the US. So I went to try and book it. And I just got hit with like crippling physical anxiety. It was really weird. I was trying to fill in the ester form and i just felt like physical symptoms of anxiety i don't know i think in the end it's just the situation in hong kong is the only thing i can think of like i've noticed people in the office as well just getting more and more snappish and stressed about everything like i I really think the general situation in hong kong is getting to everybody in small ways and there's this veneer of normality because you're going about, you know, your daily life and you're trying to just live like normal. But below the surface, there's this huge political thing like happening right now. Like, you know, it's international news. Like this will be in the history books, right? Uh, we'll see. They might well, change in, the in a way. Well, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's unlikely to end well is the problem. So, yeah, great anxiety about booking my holiday, really weirdly. I mean, I have, I finally got it sorted now, although I haven't booked the flights because the cheapest flights there are with Cathay Pacific, but now I'm starting to wonder if it's a good idea to book flights with Cathay Pacific because they've had a lot of trouble recently and it's all gone sideways for them because they were okay with the protests, but now they've had to come out strongly against the protests and Beijing is cracking down on them in particular to make an example of them because they're Hong Kong's, I was about to say national carrier, but I guess you can't say they're the national carrier because obviously China doesn't consider Hong Kong a nation. It's a big mess. What are your alternatives? I don't know, probably one of the US airlines or something. We'll see. And then, to be honest, even if I book the flight, there's no guarantee I'll be able to get on it the way things are going too, because the airport's been blockaded with the protests. And that's 
also taken a dark turn. You just go in as a protester. <laughs> go in with a black shirt and then whip it off quickly. Yeah, yeah going in. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Don't know what you'd need to do there. I still can't associate you with crippling anxiety. It's just such a foreign concept. It's just... I, I just feel like you're exaggerating and you're like perfectly fine, but I don't know. I don't know. It really surprisingly bothered me. It really surprisingly bothered me. And then another funny thing I noticed actually about the Esther form when I finally sorted myself out and did get it filled in. It's been in the news a lot. All these companies having to apologize for listing Hong Kong as a country. So Versace had to apologize. Swarovski has just made a groveling apology for listing Hong Kong as a country. The Esther form lists Hong Kong as a country and Macau is a separate country as well. I thought that was quite interesting. I wonder if Beijing's going to try and make the US apologize for listing them as separate countries. I guess Chinese officials don't have much cause to fill in an Esther form, so they haven't noticed yet. Let's hope they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> and you mentioned that the Esther form asks for social media handles. Seriously? Or is that, did I miss here? No, it, seriously, it asks for social media handles. It's optional. It's optional. So it did say, you are not required to fill in the section, but filling in this section will make it easier for us to approve your application because we can verify your identity more easily. I didn't fill it in. That's nonsense, isn't it? Well, it feels like overreach. I mean, to be honest, I'm sure they already know my social media handles. They're probably listening into the Skype call right now. It's going into some database somewhere. I hope so. <laughs> Don't think they can understand us, though. Really? Our accents aren't that bad. <laughs> trying to think what else has happened in Hong Kong of late. I think the only one I think is worth talking about, because I think it's slightly funny, is the laser guns. So the laser guns. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't know about them, and you just told me about them, and <laughs> we got laser guns. <laughs> A student bought some laser pointers. Admittedly, okay, he bought 10 quite high-powered laser pointers from a shop and an off-duty policeman arrested him for possession of, you know, an offensive weapon. And he was taken and put in prison or, well, no, actually, yeah, he was detained. I mean, I'll put links in the show notes and you should definitely fact check the story because I'm just recalling it from memory and maybe some of the details will be a little bit off. Dramatized. <laughs> Dramatized. Dramatized for your enjoyment. Anyway, the police called a press conference to explain why they arrested this guy. Because obviously there was extreme outcry and people surrounding police stations and chanting and so on. So the police, to try and defuse the situation, had a press conference and they talked about how dangerous these laser guns were. And they showed that if you took one of the laser pointers that he had bought and shone it at a piece of paper for 10 seconds, the piece of paper would burn. But then people started asking things like, hang on a minute, you can't just have a press conference about how this guy's guilty. Like, he's not going to get a fair trial. Number two, this is tampering with evidence. You can't just take the laser pointer that you confiscated from him as evidence and then show it off in a press conference. And then 
if these laser pointers are so dangerous and you shouldn't be allowed to buy them, why did you arrest the guy who bought them? Why didn't you shut down the shop that was selling them? So there are just so many things that are wrong about the situation. And then just to illustrate, again, the farcicalness of it, there was basically a laser light show protest. So a huge crowd of people gathered outside the Hong Kong Space Museum and they were all shining their lasers at the Space Museum and complaining that the Space Museum wasn't catching fire. And then it culminated in one guy holding a piece of newspaper up above his head and everyone pointing their laser pointers at it and chanting, on fire, on fire, on fire. And of course, it didn't actually catch fire. And that's just one of the many crazy things that happened in Hong Kong in the past two weeks. By the time this episode is released, who knows what's going to have happened? Literally anything could happen at this point. Yeah. Chopsticks will be illegal. They're dangerous weapons. You could have someone's eye out with that. <laughs> Actually, I probably shouldn't talk about someone's eye. Jeez. Jeez. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me tonight, Sir Michael. Hello. And myself, Timothy. And we're a book club for games. And today we are... Hurrah! Hurrah! What are we covering today? Today, we are covering Chinese Parents. So what is Chinese parents? So in this casual sim set in China, you step into the shoes of an average kid from birth towards the end of your high school. Study hard, have fun, make friends and face your ultimate challenge, the Gaokao. What will your life be like after that? And when you have a child, will you be a tiger parent? This has been translated, right? This has not been written by a native English speaker. Oh, you mean this blurb? This blurb, yeah. Did you get it from the Steam Store page? I assume that's where I it came think. from. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so I'm just, you know, that's our disclaimer. <laughs> Mike's English is much better than that. So this is a Chinese game made for Chinese people. The developer is Coconut Island, an indie dev based in Shanghai. I wonder why they chose Coconut, but, well, not important. Move on. When did this game originally come out? 2018? Yeah, so 2018. And the English translation was released in June 2019. So it has only been available in English for a relatively short period. The translation is functional, but occasionally a bit weird. It's perfectly fine. 
I mean, I think the font's a bit odd. <laughs> Sorry, just a nitpick on tiny thing. What? Like, the the apostrophe takes up the entire width that like a full character would take up. I guess because like the font rendering engine is expecting Chinese characters. So if you have a word like don't, it will be like D-O-N and then like the apostrophe will take up the same amount of space as like an entire letter would normally take up. So obviously there's a huge gap and then the T. Yeah, and it's all shifted to the left, the apostrophe. So it doesn't take up, it doesn't occupy the center of the, the space. So it is, it's weird. It's like the next, there's an extra space after the punctuation. But other than that, it's mostly fine. And you know, to be honest, I think it's good. They haven't tried to westernize it since, you know, like in the olden days, in the distant past, an age called the 90s, when Japanese games were translated and brought to, you know, the US or Europe, they would try and map things to like the equivalent concept in the uk but it just made things weird like you know there'd be like food items it'd be like onigiri but they would just call it a sandwich in the english version but it was obviously not a sandwich it was some kind of mysterious green triangle things like why are you calling a sandwich i don't know what it is but it's clearly not a sandwich and they haven't done this here it's basically all just a literal translation including stuff like the Gaokao, which is China's famously difficult college entrance exam. And I think there's loads of cultural baggage attached to the Gaokao. Like if you are a Chinese kid or someone who's grown up in China, which we haven't, then the Gaokao just has this intrinsic significance. And I think like that doesn't translate at all to us playing it as overseas people. For example. Had you heard of the Gaokao before? I actually had, because while I was still living in the UK, I remember seeing on TV a documentary about how China's college entrance exam was so crazy. And, you know, it was basically an entire show about following a few students as they prepared for the Gaokao and how much impact the Gaokao would have on their entire lives afterwards. Like if they got a good score, they'd get into a good university and they'd be set. Or if they didn't get the marks and they missed their grades, then, you know, they would get into a lower tier university and it would stunt their career prospects for the rest of their lives. You know, like the Gaokao is so important and people study like crazy and like their entire family like gets behind them to make sure they do on the Gaokao because obviously it was like the one child policy at the time. So your entire family's like future is like resting on your shoulders and how you do in this one exam. It's interesting. Like we just random, random, random tension. Did you consider this in your GZ hiring? No, I should really look up people's Gaokao scores. We should have done that. We should have done that. But uh, you're right. I mean, I think this is another thing that just doesn't translate well across cultural boundaries. Like, if I saw the name of a Chinese university, I wouldn't just automatically know, oh, this is a good one or this is a bad one. Because I don't think any of them are that internationally famous yet. Whereas like US universities, you know which ones are the famous ones or the good ones. And I think even UK universities, people have some sense of it. But or maybe just we know that because we're from the UK. But 
other countries, yeah, I don't know. They just need to put a number in, though. Or a letter, like an S rank uni, college. <laughs> I don't even know if the Gaokao for real is graded like it is in this game, because in this game you just get a number out of 750. So it's pretty obvious. I don't know if the real Gaokao gives you a score like that. Did you know about the Gaokao before this? Nope. Okay. So it's purely just because I happened to watch that random documentary, I had more of a sense about what it was about. I think so. So just to give a bit of context for our own backgrounds then, and how that has probably coloured our own impressions of the game, it may not be obvious when you hear us speaking, because we both have UK English accents, but you and I are both actually Chinese ethnically at least and yeah we have chinese parents but they're not like mainland china chinese parents so it's not going to be exactly the same your family's from hong kong yeah my parents are from hong kong but yours mine are not despite the fact we're both living in hong kong now so you can live here just by virtue of birthright i guess i'm here on a work visa my parents are actually from singapore and malaysia and my family has lost a lot of its chinese roots because my mother in particular her family moved to the uk when she was only two years old so it's almost as if i'm like third generation overseas chinese we're like we've lost loads of the chinese culture we've become really westernized so i can't even speak any chinese language whereas you're not quite so extreme no but i think having moved back to hong kong has changed that somewhat and my wife is chinese which helps but we're still quite westernized i'm still an outsider i yeah when they realise it, I am an outsider. <laughs> I think it was quite funny, though, that we we each listed down a few things that we remember from our childhoods growing up with Chinese parents. And yeah, it's funny because some of them were the same. This surprised me. And some of them are actually in the game as well. <laughs> so maybe some things... Well, I don't know if they're just universal to all kids growing up or if they're just universal to kids with chinese parents but oh, we should ask we should we should do some oh, <laughs> we should have <laughs> <laughs> too late right in if you've got some comments the one that i remember the most is the empty threat of being left at the restaurant to have and do the dishes if we couldn't afford the bill my parents said this to me as well it was like a running joke. It's like, I guess it's like a dad joke. This is like the Chinese equivalent of a dad joke, right? He's like, ha ha ha, I hope we've got enough to pay the bill or you've got to stay behind and do the dishes. I don't feel like there's a Western equivalent to that. Well, I, I think that's also funny because the fact is that we were eating dinner in a restaurant with our parents. Like it's really normal for Chinese families to bring young kids to dinner and I don't think that's really normal for, like, Western families. Why do you say that? You know, if you're going out for... 
if you there, there are certain restaurants that are like family friendly right and all chinese restaurants are family friendly pretty much yep right there's a kind of this expectation that chinese family is going to show up the whole family you know and the whole extended family too and it's going to be loud and raucous and kids are going to be crawling under the table which in fact is in chinese parents that's one of the, like the daily events it, it says you know oh you were crawling under the table and you're making such a nuisance for your parents you know it's like oh yeah i did that next one yeah i thought this was really interesting for me gambling was fine but smoking and drinking was not where it's definitely the other way around for everyone else would you mean for everyone else like your friends in the UK or my friends in the UK. Yeah. Maybe not smoking, but drinking was fine. I don't know if it's just you (laughs) or maybe this is because my family was too Westernized. These were all forbidden to us. No, okay. There is a stereotype that Chinese people love gambling. It's funny. Actually, I think my sister loves gambling as well. My sister loves going to casinos. I actually really don't enjoy gambling, but that's just me. I'm too risk averse. We should change that. We need to change that. And I think in my family, drinking is considered okay. My mum is actually notorious for just like drinking whiskey now. (laughs) Since my mum has retired. Although I said my mum's actually probably not stereotypically Chinese either. So when when she's out Pokemon going, she's got like a hip flask and she just like dabbles in a bit of (laughs) while she's out and about. She she has four separate phones that she uses to play Pokemon Go on simultaneously and then just goes home and then just drinks whiskey. <laughs> like, this is what happened to my mum when she retired. Uh, well, she knows what she loves. I'm trying to think of any of our other anecdotes and noteworthy. I mean, there, there's there's a whole bunch of ones that happened in the game that I remember happening in real life. Like, there's a funny one where, you know, it talks about how you bump into a chair and you start crying and your grandma, like, smacks the chair really hard. Like, I definitely remember, you know, (laughs) my family doing that too. It's like, oh, don't worry, I've hit the chair. I've smacked the chair really hard. You know, it's been punished for hitting you. And corporal punishment in general just being a thing. Like, I remember seeing a news story about how smacking was banned in Sweden and saying, I hope they ban smacking in the UK too. And my dad immediately turned around and smacking me for saying such a thing. My dad was much more traditional. He was a total eagle dad. I also remember him saying, oh, yes, so you're number two at maths. Why aren't you number one? (laughs) Does this explain a lot? Yeah, you're obsessed with being... Number one. <laughs> Sorry, you are number one. <laughs> Mike, you're number one. <laughs> okay. Before this turns into a therapy session, maybe <laughs> we should move on. interesting mechanics all the mechanics the gameplay 
Okay. The basic structure of the game. You are born. You're one year old. There are 47 turns until the Gaokao. And like from that very first turn, there's a big label that says 47 turns until Gaokao. So you know how long you've got left. And every turn has the same structure. You click on the child to play the mind map mini game where you can improve your stats, improve your talent for a particular stat, which gives you additional points in that stat each turn, or you can mine for knowledge. And then after you've used up all your energy and you can't mine anymore, you can use the knowledge you've acquired to learn skills. And then finally, you can choose six items to study from the skills or entertainments that you know or have access to. And then the turn ends and rinse and repeat. Plus some special events or mini games that happen. But those don't happen every turn. And from start to finish, a run of the game takes about four hours. But it's not as simple as that, obviously. It'd be a very dull game otherwise. It's strangely compelling. It, it sounds really simple and boring, but... But there's a lot going on. There's a lot of mechanics at play. And there's a lot of balancing to do. I mean, we're just going to call out the additional layers or interesting things that we came across. We, I think we might touch on 80% of them. <laughs> Well, yeah, because you allude to the balancing of things. And so, yes, when you study a skill that you've acquired, there are various stats that studying that skill will buff, but it will also have a satisfaction and a stress amount attached to it. So studying things that your parents think are worthwhile will improve their satisfaction of you but you will also become more stressed. And conversely, if you go and just do some entertainment, like playing mobile games, that might decrease your parents' satisfaction in you, but it will also reduce your stress. And so there's like a balancing act to making your parents happy, but also not stressing yourself out. But neither of us intentionally tried to piss off our parents. I, I, by that I mean make them deeply unsatisfied with us. Yeah, actually, I don't know what happens if they become really unsatisfied. I actually feel like, wow, we've really missed out possibly like half the game. Like, who knows? Maybe there's an entire other like game effectively if you just <laughs> like try and disappoint your parents instead. We were both really boring and all our playthroughs were actually trying to, you know be good Chinese children. Which, which actually says a lot about us. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of it until you mentioned it. So we know that if you get hyper-stressed, you develop a... Mind shadow? Yes. Is that is that an English term? Or is that just a... I, yeah, I, a, a translation? Uh, I don't know. But does it not intrinsically say to you what it means? Like... Yeah, you acquire some 
I think it's defining like meters squared or something. It says like your mind shadow has increased by 10 meters squared. And also you develop like a negative personality trait, like obsessive or depressive or something. And if your mind shadow ever reaches 100 meters squared, I think you just instantly lose the game. Plus, those negative personality traits will impact you later in life. So later on, when you're doing the mind mapping minigame, if you have negative traits, then those traits will actually hinder you as you play the game. So, you know, it will take more energy to do certain things. Or conversely, if you balance your stress and your parent satisfaction really well, you'll actually start to develop positive traits instead. And those positive traits will actually buff your performance at the mind mapping minigame. Like you'll get bonus points or bonus knowledge for doing stuff if, you know, your positive traits are active, like, you know, excited or relentless. Is that one? I, you know, I don't even know. Whatever. So talking about parents' satisfaction, they also have expectations upon you and their their expectations of you, their objectives. Yeah, it will, it'll be something like get into this prestigious school and to get into the prestigious school you must have you know a minimum stat score of like 7500 eq or something to get in and so if you don't meet that requirement in the turn limit that's attached to the expectation then you'll just fail to meet your parents expectations or sometimes the expectations will be random other things too like learn this skill like learn persuasion or fix my computer or something and you'll need to learn a specific skill so on the surface it looks like something you should do or must do but actually it's much more subtle than that yeah i i don't think there's actually any real penalty to not fulfilling your parents expectations if you fulfill them then you get a stat bonus but if you don't fulfill them I don't think there's a real penalty attached. It just says you failed to meet your parents' expectation of X. And another like massive Chinese tradition, red packets. At Chinese New Year. Yeah. When you're a kid, your older married relatives will give you red packets of money. And there's an entire mini game here where you have to kind of not accept the red packet but also accept it so if you push too hard to take the red packet then they won't give you the money or if you don't try to take the packet enough they won't give you the money and so you have to keep this little marker just at the right point to receive the money is this a thing i don't see it it's not something i've experienced yeah you, you, you have to it. be polite when you accept the red packet but you don't have to pretend that you don't want it and have all these theatrics yeah i mean maybe you do in mainland china but yeah for me certainly it was a oh thank you uncle something thank you auntie something and then put it in your pocket something that else that comes up which i really didn't understand maybe you can add more context to it was the essay writing I have no idea what's going on with this either. Like, I don't know whether this is just a standard thing that comes up in school in China where you have to write essays and they're like 
graded. I mean, obviously you have to write essays for school, but like it felt like this was like a, a national competition or something. I don't know the way it was presented in the game. It's like, oh, of course, it's the essay writing competition. I had no idea what was going on with this either. I also didn't read the instructions for the minigame properly the first time round. I didn't realize that the little bubbles that pop up with random statements buff your essay score. And so the first time I played it, you know, you make some choices about the topic of your essay and the style of your essay. And then I just like sat there and watched it as like little Chinese characters like filled in on the screen and weird English phrases popped up like I am Slayton. Like, what was that about? I don't know. (laughs) And then in later playthroughs, it said in the instructions, oh, and of course, I should click on the bubbles to improve my essay score. I was like, wait, what? Oh, whoops. The mini game that I found particularly funny was the face battles. This is a real thing. This is a properly real thing. So I can feel it. I can feel it (laughs) when I'm around family friends. So from a mechanical point of view, this is kind of dumb. So all you have to do mechanically is choose one of your child's traits. But from a cultural point of view, it's actually really funny. And the writing? Yeah, the the writing is hilarious. So basically the way the face battle works, your parent will be facing off against another child's parent and... Each parent basically just says something about either their life or their kids' skills. And that causes damage. And your parent has to fight with the traits that your child has acquired. So when you study a skill, there's a chance that it will unlock a trait. And some traits are better than others. So there's common traits and then rare traits and then epic traits and then like legendary traits. And so the rarer a trait is, the more face damage it does. And if you win the face battle, then it increases your face score. And then basically face as a mechanic, as far as I can tell, just ties into like the special requests. So if you've been a good kid, your parents will be willing to like give you a special treat. But you can only choose from like the treats that you have enough face to be worthy of. But yeah, you mentioned the writing. So some of the traits are just really funny. The one I particularly liked was if you study ancient Chinese poetry, then you can unlock a trait called spank poetry. And I thought this was like, a mistranslation and it was like beat poetry you know like when people like rhythmically like you know say a poem yeah but when i used spank poetry in the face battle my mum just said when my child memorizes chinese poetry wrong i beat him <laughs> and i was like wait what? <laughs> what so it really is spank poetry <laughs> From the sounds of it, you had much more luck than I did. I don't remember winning that many face battles. I think you've you completed the whole stream of face battles, face battle victories. Yeah, so there are face battles that just occur on certain turns. But there are also a set of super challenging face battles that you can try. And these face battles have 
like stat requirements to even attempt them like you must have this much pocket money in the bank or you must have this much charm or something and these opponents in these face battles are you know like their kids are legendary geniuses at something like they're either a a natural beauty or they're a computer genius or they're really rich really rich that's a terrible like (laughs) we're just really rich (laughs) yeah but it, it probably has lots of face attached to it so yes yeah as a result it's much harder to win those face battles because obviously the parent can just drop things on you like my child is the ceo of five companies or oh yeah we're not that rich we only have a hundred million dollars you know, so they'll just drop stuff like that on you, which obviously does extreme face damage. And you need some really choice traits to be able to fight back against that. Spank poetry doesn't cut it. But if you manage to get even one legendary trait, then you've got a chance, basically. Like, I think in my first run, I was really unsuccessful. And... I didn't manage to beat any of them. But I think in some of my later runs, I managed to get a legendary trait relatively early on. And then after you beat one of these legendary face battles, winning it gives you loads of stat bonuses and another legendary trait, and you just completely snowball it. So once you beat the first one, you can basically beat all of them. And then you're just like an unstoppable face monster. Because all of the traits you get from them are legendary traits. One last mechanic we wanted to call out. Yeah, I, I guess the other really important mechanic in the game... Actually, is it really that important? I think it doesn't make that much difference to your stats in the end, but it feels like it should be really important. Is the dating and friendship mini game? It's not really a game. It's just like the choices that you make. So... The thing I thought was particularly funny about this is that it's completely different if you're a boy versus if you're a girl. So if you're a girl, you can just choose a boy and you have to spend energy on you know hanging out with this boy. But your affection score with that boy will just go up. And additionally, as a girl you can choose a bestie to walk home with and a late night study partner and a go out and have fun partner. And whoever you drop into those three slots, also you will get a stat bonus for them and an affection bonus for them. And it will just go up every turn, even if you spend no energy. Whereas when you're playing as a boy... You don't get those slots for, you know, the walk home from school with friend and the bestie and whatever. You instead just get a list of girls. You have to spend energy trying to go on a date with the girl. And then you get three options for what to do. And if you choose the right option, your affection goes up. But if you choose the wrong one, either nothing happens and you wasted the energy or your affection goes down. So it's way harder to build up a high affection score when you're playing as a boy. I don't know. I mean, is this true to life, right? Like, does the boy have to put in way more effort than the girl? I didn't have a very standard. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Like, 
early dating path I just I was like I don't know what's going on it's just happening to me and I didn't really appreciate I had to make girls work for it because I was just too clueless to do it myself <laughs> oh wow <laughs> such a stud uh, no I'm just an idiot basically what a waster <laughs> I mean why does this matter in the game at the end of a run when you finish the Gaokao you have to choose someone to get married to. And if you marry your high school sweetheart, then your kid will also get some talent bonuses to carry forward in the next generation. Yeah, I mean, so if you have a low affection score, then the person you choose to get married to may reject you. And then because it's a game, you'll still get married to someone but it'll just be like a random. But will your dating experience from high school put you in a better place for later life when it comes to your proposal? Yeah. So, I mean, the probability of your proposal being accepted is based on the affection score. In general, rather than targeted to one person. No, targeted to one person because you get a choice of three people and I think... Oh, and they're all from high school? I don't know if they're all from high school. I think they are, though. I think they are. And the probability of success for each of those people is based on, you know, what their affection for you was at the end of high school. So when I was playing as a girl, the affection score would be like 100%, basically. And so there was an 80% chance of success for the proposal. Whereas when playing as a boy, it was like 50-50 at best, because... You know, I didn't always make the right choice or my score was very high. But then like in the last few turns, you know, it all went disastrously wrong. Possibly it all went disastrously wrong because her parents said, you don't have time for dating now. You must study for Gaokao. And so maybe anything you try and do is the wrong choice. I don't know, because I got some event that was like that. The stat bonus isn't that big, though, so it doesn't really make that much difference. Okay. From a mechanics point of view. Shall we see how we did? Let's. Okay, so let's talk about children. We're just going to go through the stats, right? So I scored 457 out of 750. I went to Henan Polytechnic. I ended up being a concept artist for games. Was this a boy or a girl? It's a boy. And I didn't invest any time in relationships, so I married a stranger that I had never met. And then my second generation... My mum complains about having a poopy husband, which makes sense because they weren't well-matched. But this time around, I scored 590 out of 750. The child went to University of Electronic Science and Technology of China, which I think is a good, it's like considered a good university. But after all that, I still ended up being a concept artist. Oh, you tried doing the artist path again? I didn't know what I was doing still. 
And I think my dad pushed me that way because he was an artist. Is that possible? Yeah. Your your parent will try and push you into the same career. And I was better prepared for a relationship, but my proposal only had a 40% success rate, which meant failure. <laughs> so that's me. Okay. So I actually did four runs of the game. Two boys and two girls. So first run was a girl. She scored 470 out of 750 on the Gaokao and went to Guangdong University of Technology. She actually ended up being a concept artist, funnily enough. So I also picked the artist's path to start with. <laughs> and concept artist pays 60 per turn pocket money for the next generation. So I think when you start out, you only get 20 or 30. Is that right? In your first playthrough. So having 60 was actually quite a big advantage. And so the next kid was a boy. He scored 604 out of 750 on the Gaokao and went to, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Xiamen University. Sounds good. He ended up being a specialist doctor which also pays 60 per turn, which kind of surprised me. I, I, would have thought, I would have thought a specialist doctor was better paid than a concept artist, but I don't know. What do I know? A state doctor. Mm, that's true. So this is the one child that didn't marry his high school sweetheart. So for this one, I actually failed the proposal. Then next kid, another boy, did worse, actually. 534 out of 750 on the Gaokao went to North China Electric Power University but was a game producer which also pays 60 for turn so like all of these jobs pay the same apparently in this game and then my last playthrough it was a girl 628 out of 750 Nanjing University and she was a movie star so that actually pays 120 per turn, which is pretty sweet. But I didn't actually play the fifth generation. So if I ever do that fifth generation, they're going to have a massive advantage compared to the previous ones, both because of the money and just because of the accumulated stats. So I don't know. I mean, I guess just to call out a few things then from those playthroughs. Mm. Your career is actually your choice. I don't know if you realize this. So there are two points in the game when you get a special event that just says, oh, you're listening to the radio and people are talking about, you know, what they want to do in the future and you're daydreaming and you think that you want to be and you basically get a load of buttons you can choose. And there are certain careers that are available to everybody and there are certain careers that are only available if you've learned a particular skill and sometimes that skill will come from something you have to buy at the shop with your pocket money. So if you buy like a certain CD of a game, then it unlocks like indie game culture, or you can buy an application form to a talent show and that unlocks the acting career path, for example. So that's how I ended up with different careers for each of the children. I don't know if you deliberately said each time, I want to be an artist. Uh, not the second time. But you, you also mentioned sometimes you'll get a random one. Like I got the Persuade 
expectation, which would have led me down the route of, was there, sell- is there a salesman? Yeah, there is a salesman route. But I mean, it doesn't mean you have to do that job. It just means that if you learn the persuade skill, then salesman is a career path you can choose when the radio show comes on. And you kind of get two chances, right? So there's the one right at the start of the game, but you can change your mind near the end. If in the end, you know, your stats didn't really suit that choice after all. Mm, Okay. And yeah, I think that your stats matter more than your skills. So I think if you are choosing a career for example, that requires EQ, then you could concentrate on just really buffing your EQ score, for example. But that might be at odds with your parents' expectations. So, like, in my first run, I don't think I intended to be an artist either. I think I was intending to go for a job that needed a high IQ, or at least that I assumed would need a high IQ. So IQ was actually my best stat for most of the game. But then my parents were just like, oh, you should make the most of your artistic ability. I have the expectation that, you know, you will study this particular painting skill or you need a minimum of 7,500 creativity. And so to meet that expectation... I spent loads of time just studying things that buffed creativity. And then I felt like, oh, I've spent so much energy on this. I guess I should be an artist. But in the end, creativity still wasn't my highest stats. And maybe I should have still gone with an IQ-based job. So you know that study routes. So your progression along the study route is not as important as your stat. I mean, I think these things are all intertwined, which is what makes it an interesting game. So studying a skill takes a certain amount of knowledge, but the knowledge requirement is based on the stats that affect that skill. So if you are studying like maths, then IQ is the stat that affects that. And so there'll be a stat requirement for that math skill, for example. And if you meet that stats requirement, then the knowledge cost will be the minimum knowledge cost, which might be like 50 or 100. But if you don't meet the stat requirement, then you need way more knowledge to learn that skill, all the way up to 999. And so if you are learning skills that are in tune with your stats, then you can learn them much more easily. And when you learn a skill, it also buffs that stat. So it's kind of like a snowball effect. Yeah, But when it comes to the Gaokao, actually, I don't even know if the Gaokao does work like that, but certainly when it comes to your school report card, that report card, I think your score is based on the number of skills you learned in each category versus, you know, the number you're expected to know by this age in that category. So if you've learned everything that you should know by that age, then you get the maximum score. And if you haven't learned enough, then you get, you know, less than 100%. But is it the same for careers? I think that the career is more influenced by your stats. Okay. But I could be wrong. And then there's also the question of which stats actually influence each career. 
I'm not sure it's literally just one stat or if it's a blend of multiple stats, but some are more important than others. And I don't even know what the breakpoints for each stat are. So, I mean, I think it's interesting that we both got concept artist in that first playthrough. So I guess our stats probably ended up being kind of similar. And then the careers are also kind of funny. Like they themselves are probably a social commentary or like a meta joke. Cause like for the game design path, I got game producer that paid 60, but the top job in the game design path, I think is indie game designer, but it only pays 30. So I guess they're indie devs that made this game and they're going, oh yeah, being an indie is more prestigious, but you'll make no money. So that is my current best guess at how the game works from my four playthroughs, but I don't know. I was a straight A student though, by the end, because, well, number one, my stats were way better because it's kind of a snowball effect through the generations. But yeah, I was also trying to study a relatively balanced skill set. How did you do? I mean, the most important thing is the first run, right? I mean, you're right, there's a snowball effect. So you get to be a straight A student by the end, yes. But I was really struggling on the first run. I mean, I was at 16, I was getting Ds. I was still slowly getting better. I'm surprised your parents didn't disown you. <laughs> I did I did rescue it. I did save it. But... You know, it's they call it casual sim, but I still managed to make it very hard for myself. <laughs> I mean, again, speaking of the first run, so my first run was actually as a girl. And yeah, I had no preconceptions about the game going into it because it was my first run. But I mean, I, a couple of funny things actually happened. So there's sexist grandma who just chimes in every now and then. And I learned that she doesn't show up when you're playing as a boy. You know, sexist grandma just, grandma full stop, just only shows up when you're a girl. And she says things like, if you had listened to me and just had a boy instead, we wouldn't have to worry about any of this. Well, she's just complaining like, why do you have to go to a good school anyway? All you have to do is get married. And then even your own parents are not immune to it since... I actually started down the game dev career path in that first run as a girl. And my dad actually appeared and said, oh, game dev, that's not a good career for girls. You should do something else. So again, it's interesting. Like I didn't know any better. So I just kind of followed my parents' advice. And I suppose they pushed me away from the game dev path in that run. What about what other careers did you end up with? I mentioned this before, but I was surprised that specialist doctor is not more prestigious. So I chose the white collar profession line on the radio and I hadn't actually looked at the profession gallery at this point. So I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, actually, I guess you don't actually know what to expect anyway, because it's all question marks. But the white collar line is actually really short. I can't remember what the first job is, but the second job is doctor. And then the third job is specialist doctor. So specialist doctor pays 60 per turn, which is not a huge amount. And just regular doctor pays, I think, 30. I mean, it's the same as the default pocket money. So yeah, I was really surprised. I mean, mostly because in my own upbringing and in my own 
Chinese parents situation like in real life. Being a doctor, at least for overseas Chinese, I think is considered really prestigious. Like when I was growing up, certainly all the time, relatives were saying to me, oh, you have good grades. You should become a doctor. Or why aren't you going to become a doctor? Why don't you want to be a doctor? You know, as if being a doctor was the pinnacle of success. So it really surprised me that being a specialist doctor here is not, you know, better paid and more prestigious. Maybe it's because you can contribute back to community directly to your family, extended family. Oh, you think it's a selfish thing? It's like, we can get free medical. We can get free drugs. We can get free dental care. (laughs) (laughs) You're thinking about your own family now. (laughs) Yes. I think I think you made a funny point when we were talking about this offline when you said, you know, maybe maybe you can't do like private medical in China or something, so maybe it's less lucrative. Yeah. But I don't know. You don't want to be an NHS doctor, right? You want to get that private work. Sorry, you should be an NHS doctor is the right thing to do. That's right. Private work. (laughs) Unless you want to be rich. I guess something to comment on is that even though this is a casual sim, there was some depth to it. So you can definitely get better at playing the game by just being more skilled at playing it to some extent, at least. So. I think in the first playthrough of the game, the mind map minigame is a major part of it because it happens on every turn. And I just played it really badly since, I don't know, I just think I didn't really think about it. I was genuinely playing it like a casual game. I was like, oh, pretty colors, click on the ones that look like fun. But in later playthroughs, I definitely applied a bit more critical thinking to it to try to maximize my score so for example early on it's worth taking the talent nodes because they cost a bit more than the nodes that just improve the point score but when you've got you know like 40 turns left in the game then a a plus one to that ability score every turn when compounded over you know, 40-something turns is worth more than a direct buff of four points to the score. But as you get to deeper levels of the mind map, the point bonus that you get for the direct ability point bonuses goes up. And obviously, as you get to deeper levels of the mind map, there are fewer turns left in the game. So there comes a point when you're better off just trying to take the direct point increases instead and completely avoiding the talent boosts that improve your per turn score. So I think the overall strategy for me was to try and uncover as much of the mind map as possible. And then hopefully to get to one of the, like the special exit tiles that lets you get to the next level of the mind map and gives you a buff to your energy again. I mean, I think you independently developed the same strategy. Yes. And also just game knowledge so 
the skills that you can study will give you something like plus 30 to a particular attribute. But towards the end of the game, there are some special entertainments you can unlock that are way more effective than actually studying your subjects. I guess they're supposed to represent cramming. But you don't know the benefit until you unlock them. Yeah, that's the thing. Did you unlock them in time on the first go? So I did unlock them even in the first run, but not at the optimal time. I didn't buy it as soon as it was available. So the shop sells a book called Five Years of Gaokao, and it's an entertainment. So usually the entertainments are things that like de-stress you, but Five Years of Gaokao actually just buffs all of your abilities by 100 points, except for charm. Or actually, except for constitution and charm, in fact, yeah. So your non-physical attributes, things like EQ, IQ, creativity, whatever. And at around the same time as it's possible to buy five years of Gaokao, in the requests section, if you have enough face, you can ask your parents to give you a book called Three Years of Practice Tests or at lower probability and higher face requirements, a Huanggang exam practice book. And three years of practice tests buffs all your scores by 200 points, and the Huanggang exam book buffs them all by 300 points. I did not get these. Yeah, so these are the key to just getting extreme stat scores. You can improve your stats by basically a thousand points plus every turn in the last few turns of the game i had a question to you did you save the game and try out a couple of options at any point the game auto saves after every turn right annoyingly yes so i did save scum once kind of accidentally on purpose so i played the game and it was getting pretty late so i stopped playing at like one in the morning which is pretty ridiculous anyway the next day i went to resume the game and i realized it was the turn on which three years of practice tests and the huanggang exam book unlock and i had two requests that my parents were willing to grant me but you know the three years of practice test is a 50 percent success rate and the exam book is a 25 percent success rate so i went to try and unlock them and i failed and then i was like wait a minute doesn't the game autosave every turn and so i just quit the game and then load it again and i had another chance to do it and so i actually just did that a few times until i unlocked the exam book and the practice tests so uh i save scum that one time but that was it okay so i tried to do the same but i failed so i i, I found out where the save location for the game files were because i really wanted to know what the difference was if I put in my final action points into my studies and also my final action points into oil painting and go further down the art route. I failed. I totally failed. I forgot. (laughs) I 
didn't paste the files. I just copied them. I don't know what was happening. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I wish you could tell me. Is it better to focus on my studies or be a superior artist? I mean, I don't really know either. <laughs> I think it I think the stat points that you get matter more. So if in the process of trying to become a superhero artist, you ended up with higher stats in the abilities that mattered, I think maybe that would be better. But if you ended up with more relevant stats by going the other way, then that would be better. But I don't really know either. I'm also just kind of guessing. And that kind of leads us on to a lot more questions. Yeah, I'm really not sure how to get a really good Gaokao score. And I'm not really sure if your Gaokao score really influences your career that much. Like, I don't know if I had all of the stats, but none of the skills, would I still end up in the same career point like if i had the stats that i did at the end of the playthrough but hadn't bothered to study any of the skills would i still have been a concept artist but would i've got like one out of 750 on the gaokao like i don't know i suspect that's how it works that the stats matter for the job and the skills matter for the gaokao and really the game is trying to say maybe they don't matter that much but i don't know at all or maybe maybe it really does because i know the kind of like the common perception of the Gaokao is that it's really critical to your future life. Something else I didn't really appreciate or understand. What's the secret to China's Got Traits? The talent show. Yes. It's really weird. This talent show shows up and you are competing against two other kids and it basically just says the theme of this year's show is blah and it says something and then it tells you what the other kids are going to compete with though i don't know if those are traits you can unlock they just seem like ridiculously named things i can't remember any of them but i, I remember they always sounded crazy and then you have to pick one of your traits to compete with and in my first playthrough i always lost but in the later playthroughs where I unlocked a legendary trait and then snowballed all the super face battles, I basically just always won. So there are, there are two prizes. There's a prize for potential, right? And there's like a main prize. Yeah. You got the main prize, right? I got the main prize, yes. I managed to get the potential prize once as well by just choosing... I think the legendary traits you get by winning the super face battles are worth even more than the legendary traits you get by studying stuff that happens to give you a legendary trait. So I think I got the potential prize by using one of the legendary traits I got from studying a skill. And I think I got the grand prize just by picking one of the super face battle legendary traits. So basically the way to win is just have some kind of legendary skill it's true to life. <laughs> I guess it's true to life.
So shall we put together some closing thoughts? Yes, indeed. So what did you think? I actually found it really fun. I'm really surprised how much I actually ended up enjoying it because I I actually I played four runs of it and a friend messaged me saying are you obsessed with this game why are you playing this game so much I was like oh I'm playing it for the podcast but I was also thinking and also it's kind of fun I'm really surprised that you know a casual sim was actually fun but it has got kind of less fun as I've figured out more of the mechanics i know how to just kind of you know it's it's become kind of just like cranking the handle now but the early runs of the game in particular there was a really interesting playoff between balancing short-term needs and long-term goals like i have to meet my parents expectations so i have to do this in the short term but long term I have this dream of following this career and so I need to try and get these skills as well or these stats instead. And so that trade-off was actually really interesting. I mean, the pressure and that balance is less severe the more you play the game because, you know, number one, when you when you play it to begin with, you don't know any better and so you think you really need to fulfill your parents' expectations. Whereas... Is it more like real life? You know, as you get older and as you get more experienced, you realize like, hey, what I think matters more. I don't need to follow these expectations. I actually know better. And so when my parents are like, oh, I really think you should learn the skill. I'm just like, too bad. I'm going to be a movie director this time. You know, and I just ignored their expectations and there's no penalty to it anyway. Or the need to do this balancing act is less just because my stats are so much better. I mean, in that first run of the game i think each turn your abilities are buffed by five points and you know you can improve it from five points to six points or whatever by you know getting the talent stuff in the mind map but yeah the default is each turn your abilities increase by five points whereas now on the fifth generation my abilities increase by 70 points each turn even if i do nothing so obviously my stat scores are just way higher so the game is much easier there's much less pressure to balance stuff it's like oh no should i choose a or should i choose b and now i'm like oh why not both why not c as well i can afford it though having said all that i still don't 100 know how the game works i still can't play really optimally because usually for for these games and usually for stuff for the book club as well if we're trying to like research it to make some notes you just google it yeah right it's like how does this game work how does it how does it actually work under the hood oh just google it read a wiki there's just nothing for this game i I guess the english translation is relatively recent there's tons of information about the game out there but it's all in chinese and so we can't read it every now and then you'll see a post like on the forum that says oh I found some Chinese guide and translated it. And it turns out you need a score of 9,000 in this stat as well. And everyone's going, oh, I never would have guessed that. You know, so like people have figured out the game in depth, but all of the guides are in Chinese. But that was kind of fun too. Because, you know, usually you're like, oh no, I'm going to play this myself. I'm going to play it myself. And it's like, you know, you get weak and your willpower's erosion. It's like, I'm just going to Google it. I'm just going to find out. And like here... (laughs) that choice was taken from me 
I couldn't Google it. And so I had to figure out the hard way. And actually, that was quite rewarding too. I would still like a profession gallery. I want to see. So at the moment, the profession gallery is is still locked for you for a lot of the careers. I just want to see a fully uncovered profession gallery. I want to know what average show can achieve because that career path is quite long. Yeah, I think it would be pretty interesting too to see what the rest of the career paths, you know, what are the jobs? What do they pay? If only just to get some sense of like the satire and social commentary of this dev, you know, like it's an insider's view of like, how does a Chinese game dev see China? And I'm sure there's an unlocked career guide on the internet in Chinese. Yeah. I guess the last thing I had to comment on was I was surprised how much gendered stuff there was in this game. So I really feel like a Western game dev wouldn't have done this because I don't know. It's just like not the done thing now, but in China, clearly it's different. And so, yeah, it's like the gameplay, like the dating game was like different if you're a boy versus if you're a girl. There's lots of career paths that actually turns out are gendered as well, including some ones that, in my mind, aren't really gendered. So like the esports career path, you can only do if you're a boy. I mean, I suppose you could argue it's true to life because like, you know, there was this commentary I know for the Fortnite World Cup and they said none of the competitors are girls. But that wasn't because they excluded girls. It's just because no girls happened to qualify for it. So I don't see why, for example, the esports career path is gendered to only be for boys. And then similarly, the singer career path is only available to girls. That seems a bit random to me too. Like, there's plenty of male singers. So why is singer only for girls? I don't know. And and less obviously than that, it's something I didn't really pick up on until the last playthrough. But I noticed even when you're a baby, like the baby skills you learn are different for a boy versus a girl. So as a boy, you need to be quiet. And it's all about like, being self-reliant and not bothering your parents and then as a girl the equivalent baby skills are like be friendly and like go and share cookies with your classmates and stuff it's like again it's really weird it's like why are these so different like different people are different but i don't think it's that boys have to be quiet and girls have to be friendly i totally missed that yeah i only noticed it on the fourth playthrough because it's just like before it's just like oh yeah it's the baby skills and then i was like wait a minute this baby skill has a little bow on it hang on a minute last time i played this was called be quiet you know it was it was surprising i i didn't notice it until the fourth playthrough either any closing thoughts from you i wonder how how much of it is intentional social commentary and how much of it is just this is a game and as a consequence we've hit upon these things by accident I, I mean, I think that is really interesting, right? Like culture is the stuff that you do without thinking. And so, yeah, is it overt social commentary or is it just, of course, boys are quiet and girls have to be friendly because this is just, you know, of course, why, why, why do you find this unusual? You know, I, which one is it? We actually don't know. Although I suspect it is social commentary in this case, but 
the, the, a lot of the game is actually, I think, quite tongue-in-cheek. I'm happy to close with that. In which case... So, next time, for the book club? It's your choice. TIS 100. We don't call it TIS 100, right? No one's calling it that. I have no idea. I have literally no idea. I've been saying TIS 100. It could be TIS 100. (laughs) I've only ever seen it written down. What is TIS 100? The craziest of the Sectronics programming puzzle games. I definitely feel like this is the least well-known or least popular. It's certainly the cheapest. For whatever reason, you got me a copy. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I wasn't sure we were going to mention that. This is actually the only Zachtronics programming puzzle game that I haven't played. So this one came out after Infinity Factory, but before Shenzhen IO. And yeah, when it came out, I was like, oh, another Zachtronics game. Great. I'm going to buy it. And then for some reason... I actually don't even know why. I thought it'd be funny. Bought a copy and gifted it to you as well. This is before I realised you had like huge anxiety about your backlog and that this was like a huge burden and I probably just is the equivalent of slapping you in the face like here, here's another problem for you to deal with. But yeah, so I bought a copy myself. I bought a copy for you ages ago. We both never played it. (laughs) It's not like a slap to the face. It's more like another brick to carry on my back through life. Well, we're going to lift that brick off your back and play it. Even though it's probably hard as nails. (laughs) I'm quite excited, actually. I mean, it looks like, hey, I heard you like assembly. Now let's do it in two dimensions. Right, It's like a load of different units that all talk in some grid in assembly to solve puzzles. We're not committing to finishing it. We'll just see where we get to. And for scheduling reasons, aka my holiday, we will talk about it in October. So you have the entire month of September to play as much of TIS 100 as you can slash want to. Stomach. (laughs) So, the next book club game. TIS 100. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club on Twitter, at Lost Levels Club. On Twitch, as Lost Levels Club. And Reddit, slash r slash Lost Levels Club. That's it? That's it. So, Mike, what are you grateful for? I am grateful that the podcast is finally on Spotify. Yeah. I clicked some button to say, add the podcast to Spotify freaking ages ago. And it just never showed up. And I was like, 
What did I do to you, Spotify? What did I do to you? <laughs> anyway, I don't know if it was because I just wasn't patient enough or because I gave it a kick because I went back into the Spotify settings in the podcast hosting thingy and changed one of the fields and changed it back again and then saved it again. But we're on Spotify now. I mean, it's not a great experience because the show notes are totally mangled, but we are on Spotify. So if Spotify is your thing, you can listen to us there too. Until we get taken down for copyright infringement. <laughs> but it's fair use. Fair use. That's my defense. I'm sticking to it. So Michael says bye. Bye-bye.